The day I started at Australian Red Cross, the CEO came into the room and said to us, welcome, it's great to have you and your amazing people and skills come into the business and I encourage you to leave. And that, and that was day one. Red Cross had a bit of a challenge in that there was people that had stayed there for decades and decades. And we often see this in government as well. But there was a superpower to that because he said, if you do leave, go out there, explore other roles and positions, and then come back. Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Well, hello everyone, and welcome once again to another episode of GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. Today, I'm joined by Phil Brown. Now, Phil is a veteran of our industry, starting his career as a photographer, and he's then moved through the industry holding a variety of positions, whether it be a photographer, a designer, a content strategist, to a senior advisor now, but he's worked with organisations such as Fire and Rescue New South Wales, the Australian Red Cross, King Content, the Digital Transformation Agency, and he's now a partner with growth activists from Sydney. So over 20 years, he's seen it all, and he's joined us in the studio here in Canberra. Phil Brown, welcome to GovComs. Thanks, David. From the front line, what are you seeing at the moment? What's the change? We've had the pandemic. You and the rest of the team at Growth Activists are really working hard across a range of clients at the moment. Mm -hmm. What are you seeing? What are you hearing? What's going on out there? What's the change? Big question. I'll probably answer it quickly by saying... I'm not sure that there is a big change and you'll probably hear me say this a couple of times today that um, I'm a believer in the more things change, the more they stay the same, especially in what we do, Um, comms and communicating and, you know, telling those great stories to great people. Um, The techniques behind it, they, they haven't changed. You know, David Ogilvy was right 50 years ago and we, we still use those sorts of techniques. However, I will answer your question. I think one of the shifts that we've seen is an elevation of strategy. Um, This is uh, from a sample size of one, my opinion, but I I think while people were at home, while people had time to themselves, their family, uh, less of a corporate life, they had time to think. And they had time to think about their, their jobs, their roles, their businesses, and it gave them that space to think about those ideas that they always wanted to do, rather than just getting trapped in the day-to-day, do, 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 tactics, 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 tactics. They've, they've slowed down for a little bit and thought, oh, I need to think about the strategy. So we've seen over the last two years uh, uh, almost a, you know an elevation of strategy. People are looking for it more. Um, they're looking to understand it more. And they're looking to understand how it can help them in their organisations, um, you know, which is which is great for organisations like ours, and it's great for everybody because, as, as you know, a strategic approach always leads to the best outcomes. Is there the capability to take it from I want to think about strategy to I want to be able to do strategy? 
do people know how to do strategy or is it a lost art? Oof. There is, uh, I'm, you know, the hands are wide here. There's just such a broad spread of capability across strategy. Um, some of the biggest challenges I've had over the years are when I've been talking to organisations that are asking for a strategy without an understanding of what strategy is. Um, and, you know, there's those conversations out there about strategy versus plan. I'm a believer that they're very, very different things. They're interrelated, they rely on each other, but strategy first, then do your planning. And uh, that they are different, they are vital, and um, it, it's the capability of people in organisations is broad. Um, often I'm seeing, whether it's for-profit or government, middle management levels tend to think that their planning is strategy or strategizing and you know their calendars of tactics and you know activities and whatever they're doing they think that strategy and that that can be a challenge because when it does come to the executive team or the leadership asking them to do strategy they're not quite getting at an understanding that strategy is more the elevation of why we do the plan you know who is it we're communicating what why are we communicating to them what are we communicating to them rather than just that this is what we're going to be doing over the days, weeks, months, quarters, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So capability is very broad. Um, and I, I, a sideline to that is one of the big challenges we see um, in strategy is often what you're asking an organisation to do is to think, behave or act differently. That can be a very challenging uh, ask for somebody that's inside an organisation to do. You, you, you need to be um, a lot of self-belief, you need to be an influencer, a negotiator, all of those wonderful soft skills often if you are going to get, uh, you know, do the great work of research and, and, and insights and lifting yourself up and out of the organisation so that you can do the strategy but then trying to win uh, not just the executive, but the broader team over to that strategy. It's it's a challenging thing to do, which is, you know, we've both got businesses and often that's why we're so important because we come in with that external view. Mm. We don't have the day-to-day, -day, uh, you know, madness that can happen when we're all trying to do our jobs and we bring in a very broad set of experience because we've been in and out of lots of different organisations and seen um, how they work. So... Very long answer to your question. Sorry. <laughs> I digress. So, listen, we go and, – and strategy works a couple of ways, doesn't it? Because – and we'll come to more sort of the external side of it, but I'm also interested in your views around internal and any internal communications and being able to prepare the team, prepare the culture, prepare the skills to be able to not just develop but then implement uh, and influence, as mm. you mentioned before, internally. So what sort of things are you seeing in and around – you know, how teams are being reorganised perhaps or the influence that may be growing uh, with communications and engagement functions inside organisations? Yeah, look, internal comms is, um, I'd suggest it's, it's, it's on the rise. Um, part of the reason for that is everyone's working from home. Yes. You know, the work from home revolution, which is, as we're seeing, it's settling back into some sort of hybrid model. But... 
we're not all coming back into the office all the time. That's never going to happen again. So all of a sudden, internal comms has got this broader remit where it needs to be engaging people that are in their homes. And it's just, it's made it that more vital for organisations. And again, going back to strategy, rather than just having a plan of these are, you know, we're going to do uh, internal newsletters and a bit of social and a bit of this, it's coming back to that strategic approach. Um, what are we communicating to the workforce? Why are we communicating to the workforce? Uh, and what's going to engage them and through which channels? All of that good good stuff. Mm. It's interesting though, isn't it, that really it's probably not been an area that's needed the focus or had the focus mm. because it's about really getting the most out of the resources that you actually deploy and invest in and in many cases internal communication and I'm finding increasingly internal resources are becoming much more a part of the communication and engagement function. It's not just the communications and engagement team as such. You know, everybody now has a role because everyone is now carrying a you know, mm. supercomputer in their pocket and they're able to engage and create content. So it's, it's a much sort of evolving um, space and it how you get the best out of those resources is really a big part of how you can represent your brand in order to achieve business objectives. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, with platforms like Facebook Workplace, for example, and um, when you're bringing that into an organisation as, a, as, a, as an internal comms tool, it's just amazing because I, you know, most of your workforce are on Facebook already. Most of them are looking at it every now and again, if not using it actively daily. If you're picking up that private Facebook channel and, and how it operates and bringing it in, in in workplace, you've already got a trained workforce who are comfortable, savvy with the platform, how it works, how to use it. And then from an organisational perspective, you've got an immediate feedback tool. Done right platforms like that are just so powerful for an organisation. It shifts it from this sort of lag of sending out an internal newsletter and what's the feedback oh. mechanism? How do you, how do you hear? How do you, it's, it just ends up being maybe some, you know, lunchroom talk or gripes up through managers, but social, oof, it's a powerful tool. We had a guest on GovComs and her a name escapes me as I reach for it, but communications director at Sydney Trains. Um, go back and listen to that episode if you're at home uh, or on the bus or the train or wherever. Just go back and find it, Sydney Trains. It is the greatest story about the application of Facebook Workplace and how they have brought that workforce together using that tool, um, focusing on the people, mm. focusing on interests, focusing it's, focusing on community. It, it is just a great story. So um, uh, check it out because it is, a, it is a really, really great story. So in terms then of skills, internal skills and, you know, talent, we always hear this, mm. you, know, you know, the, you know, the, battle, the uh, battle for talent, uh, digital skills, transformation, uh, change. What 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 are your views around the types of skills that people working in comms need to have in their teams, in order to, you know, grip up this opportunity? You know, this you know the democratization of the factors of media production and distribution. How how are people going to organise themselves, and what sort of skills uh, and mindsets do they need to have on their teams in order to tell those capture those great stories and tell those great stories? 
That's a big question. It is. Underneath it, oh, there's, one, there's one core uh, attitude, belief, behaviour, and it's, it's storytelling. And that, that underlies everything we do, uh, you know, whether it's video or blogs or articles or Facebook workplace, all of it. it it's, it's fundamentally storytelling. And that's one of the factors that hasn't changed across internal, external comms over the decades. Uh, it's about communicating. It's about understanding your audience and reaching them with the right, the right stuff. So that's absolutely vital. The, the skills themselves that people need... It's an interesting question. We, you, you can see job ads out there and they're just fantabulous things asking for these unicorns that can, that can do. Yeah. All I call them the Swiss army knives. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, just, you know, I, it's taken me decades of doing all sorts of stuff to be really good at some things and really shit at some other things. Yeah. And uh, there's just nobody out there that's, uh, you know, that good at all of these things. Anyway, these job ads are asking for this uh, ridiculously broad set of skills. So like you mentioned, it's more the soft skills, the, the attitude, the understanding of storytelling and engaging audiences and how to do that. that that's the vital part for, for comms people. I think an understanding of strategy and planning and the relationship, the difference between the two things, it's vital that that um, that more junior members of teams are are given an understanding of strategy and and how that uh, plays out. So, but other than that, technology, uh, data, uh, and an understanding of data and measurement, and then what to do with it, because ultimately we. You know, we, we love data and the performance of all of these stories we throw out there, but the only reason we should love it is so that we get better next time and tomorrow and just constantly improve. So it, it, it's rather than just, you know, reporting on all those surface-level metrics, it's mm. taking those metrics and turning them something into valuable, something valuable. So uh, data and then platform, of course, you know, whether it's workplace or... Uh, you know, the internal CRMs, what's banana tag these days? I think it's called um, staff base or something they've rebranded to. So those internal newsletter platforms, understanding how to use those and reach the databases in the organisation and engage with them. Um, what other skills are key? I, I would... R research is, I think, one of the, the untapped... Um, uh, elements of, of, of government comms that, that still just isn't used as much as, as it is uh, in, in the for-profit world, if you like, um, and especially in internal comms. Talk to your people, interview them, survey them, and, and do it as often as you can because what, what you learn from your workforces, and it's got to be top to bottom, you've got to be talking to... Uh, the executive, the leadership, the, the EDs to understand what the organisational priorities are. But you've also got to have a really diverse mix of people in the organisation to understand what's going on, what channels they're in, what, what do they want to hear and how do they want to hear from the business, from the organisation. And when you get to this storytelling uh, task makes a great story. What advice do you have for people in terms of locating, identifying, selecting, um, putting together uh, a story that's going to have resonance to a, 
specific audience? What sort of advice do you give to people? Jeez, what makes a good story? I haven't thought about that for, for years and years and years. Look, there's um, seeing a good story, there's, sti- there's still a journalist's nose um, and, and you can learn it but it also comes with experience. Um, when you're out there in the field and, uh, you know, years ago gathering stories for um, Australian Red Cross and we, we'd be, um, you know, visiting disaster zones and all, all so- and vulnerable peoples and all sorts of things. So that you had to have your radars wide open. And I'm trying to th- articulate what, what it is that I was looking for. Uh, it, 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 it's quite instinctual for me these days. And that's, I think, what they call it, the journalist knows. But I think what you're looking for is um, all, always human. Um, there's, and, and some sort of, you know, tension and resolution. Um, and, and once you've got the combination of those things, people connect. Uh, especially the human story, and they get to hear from somebody and look in their eyes and, um, and and feel the journey that they've gone through. And you've got to have a resolution, whether the resolution's good or bad, but that needs to be there as well. And that tension that you're talking about, how you know how critically important is that to to the story? Because interestingly enough, I went to a film over the weekends called uh, Belfast, and it's mm. Kenneth Branagh's um, story of a childhood. And it completely lacked any sort of tension yeah. that I, at, at all. And I was Belfast. Yeah. Well, it, well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sort of in the greater scheme of Belfast, like I thought something sort of a major was going to happen, and sort of it was all a little bit. Oh yeah. Okay. And then this happened, and then that, that happened, and there was no yeah. tension to it. So there's com- almost complete absence, as as I took it anyway. But trying to find and locate and identify, as you say, is it a learned skill or is it something that people can be taught? To, to look for because I think what sits behind all of this is that curiosity piece, isn't it, yeah. of, of really asking the questions to try to find the, the human, the emotion. Um, Why did know. they do that? Yeah. What yeah. were the choices they made? Yeah, innate curiosity. I think you've, you've, you've hit it on the head. I think that's the bit that has to be inside you and I'm not sure that can be taught. The nose itself... I think that can be taught. That comes with experience. If you've got a, you know, a, a leader or a mentor that you're out in the field with and they're continually, you know, finding these stories for you, I think that could probably be taught, but that innate curiosity, that's there in your bones. And Okay, so we get our teams right. We get ourselves sorted. We, you know, we, we learn, we develop, we grow. Where where do you put the importance of this value this 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 sort of you know drumbeat mantra of you know skills acquisition learning and development continual growth continual improvement like it is a it's a movable feast because where we sit now in terms of the change really when you think about it we're probably just getting started mm. when, as it relates to you know, uh, multi-sensor, 5G, you know, quantum computing, artificial intelligence, virtual reality, mm. augmented reality. The know, metaverse. The metaverse, exactly. You know, the whole piece that's sort of coming towards us. How do, how do you think about building skills in teams and how do you get people to commit to developing their people when the risk is often... I'm going to teach these people skills, but they might leave. You know, they might go. So maybe I just want them for the for the period that they're here, and I'm not going to invest in them. How do you sort of think about developing people? Oh, there's, oh, there's a couple of things going on there. Uh, people are always going to leave. Um, 
And that's fantastic. Uh, I, again, when I the day I started at Australian Red Cross, uh, the, the CEO uh, came into the room and said to us, "Welcome. Uh, it's great to have you and your amazing people and skills come into the business, and I encourage you to leave." <laughs> and, that, and that was day one. Red Cross had a bit of a challenge in that there was people that had stayed there for decades and ah. decades. And we often see this in government as well. Um, but there was a superpower to that because he said, if you do leave, go out there, uh, explore other roles and positions and then come back and bring all of that outside knowledge and skills in. So it starts to, you know, change behaviour within organisations and, um, and get people to move along. Do you see that people have a responsibility, though, for, for the development of people while they are in their care, so to speak, and while they are contributing? And how do you make time in a busy schedule when there is always so much to do? Like you're never going to walk into a comms department anywhere that's mm-hmm. got the feet up and they've got, you know, they've got nothing to do. They're always flat stick. They're always busy. How do you make time to develop those people? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you mentioned the talent war a little bit earlier. It, it's a reality. Um, you know, 2021, there was a lot of talk in uh, the States and mumbles here about the great resignation, but we've sort of seen data that has said it hasn't, the great resignation hasn't landed here, but people are more mobile in their jobs. They're changing jobs uh, more often. And we've also got a remote workforce. We need to look at ways to engage them better. And so part of that is understanding what it is they want out of their roles, uh, you know, whether that's professional and personal development. And the other part of it is you just have to make time because there's an investment in the organisation or in the business in investing in your people. The, the more you can create a space for them where they feel like they can fly within their own values and ambitions, the more they're going to stay with you mm-hmm. and the more... Uh, they're going to contribute to, you know, the the vision of uh, the department or agency or business or whatever it is. So we've got our internal self sorted, our team sorted, our learning sorted, our skills, our structures, our planning, our strategy, our development. We've now got to go out. We've got to go and, you know, take take this army, organised army with us out into the world to, you know, to capture our share of a person's time and attention in order for them to be able to do what we need them to do for us to achieve our objectives. How do you get successful in a world that is so crazy busy, that is so noisy, where everybody is fighting for that time and attention? How do you be successful when there's so much going on? Successful as a business or successful as individuals? As a business. As a, well, as, as a government department. So I have a policy that I want people to pay attention to. Yes. I have a program... I have a service, I have a regulation, I have a grant program, I have something yeah. that I want to put in front of a of an audience. But I know they're busy. I know that they have uh, the choice of the world's information, education and entertainment that they yeah. carry in the palm of their hands. How do I earn a share of that screen? How do I earn a share of a person's most valuable asset? Mm. It, it's, it's, I'm going to be cheesy here. It's back to the storytelling again. Uh, and, you know, even if it is something as dry as a policy, you've got to understand your audience. You've got to understand what channels they're in. And you've got to understand how they want to be communicated with. And 
even if you've got a dry story like policy, it's you're not going to get it to cut through all of that noise unless you do it the right way. So know the channels, know what they want to hear and how they want to hear it. I'm, I actually think I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a, a government nerd. Um, that's where we work. That's the space we're in. We sort of we don't go outside of it because there's so much to it. But I think there's so much to policy and programs and services and regulation, and it, it is so emotional, really. A lot of the content, you know, it can be dry, and I think often in government people think, oh, that, the, you know, the citizen doesn't want to hear from us. They don't want to know, you know, like we're, you know, we're just, you know, pushing it along. But I don't know. I think COVID sort of has flipped something, and you know. The government channels are huge um, in terms of – and the growth that they had through COVID. So all of a sudden, you know, uh, different platforms just, you know, exploded in the amount, you know, and they were have they earned the right to tell people a story, but I'm not quite sure in many cases whether uh, they were ready for it and ready to be able to take that growth and that interest. Um, so I do think there's a real opportunity to be able to think, and to your point – What's the story behind the policy? What's the problem that you're actually solving? Because ultimately government is about people and is about making people's lives better. So the stories are there, but we need to do a better job in finding the stories but then articulating them in much more than just, you know, uh, a 15-page PDF, um, you know, which is quite dense and hard to get to. Um, we have to sort of strip out and find... Um, that, that the, nugget. The, the nugget, the story piece, you know, and often you find that, you know, in dealing with policy people, they want to tell you everything and everything's got to go in there. You know, I've got to tell you the whole lot. And it's a bit like, well, I don't need all of it. Just give me the bit that can get people's attention. And if they want to know more, well, then we can send them off to the, the white paper or the mm. whatever it is that, that you're looking for. So working with people in government, what's your experience then of, of helping them to be better at talking to their clients, talking to their, um, uh, yeah, their clients inside government, whether they're policy, uh, policy makers or program mm. delivers or regulatory agencies. How, how do comms people get better at, at being able to find those stories? The, the stories are there. You're absolutely right in that they are often uh, in the, the long PDFs. But that's how journalists knows again, which is finding what's the why behind the policy. What, what, what's the outcome for, you know, community uh, and so that's where the comms professionals come in, and the, we we have to we have to look for that. I think the harder part is not finding the heart behind the story, the human behind the story. I think it's sometimes convincing um, the 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 government uh, management and leadership that we don't need the long version. We've got to boil this down to as simple as possible. And I mean simple in a wonderful way, not in a simplistic way, so that people can understand it. And so it'll cut through as well in all of those busy channels and the noise out there that we're competing in. So as when you're out there at the moment, and again, looking at it from, I want to be effective with a, a you know my uh, particular audience, mm. whoever that may be. What are the sort of top sort of three things that people are talking to you about in, in being able to be more effective? Is it I've got to get better at the strategy? I've got to get better at the implementation? I've got to get better at understanding my data? I've got to get better at creating content? What, what are the sort of priority areas that you hear most? Yeah, uh, look, strategy and planning is always key. Uh, most of the areas we work with are good at planning. Okay. They've done a lot of planning and 
um, they, they, they're, you know, great at building their calendars of activities and what they're going to do, but um, they struggle with strategy. And so that, that's vital to them. And we spoke earlier about the importance of that. People looking, leadership's looking more um, towards strategy. Because there's a bit of a, there's an evolving capability that needs to be developed because we're, we're now communicating in a, in a different way. So we're sitting here, you know, a mm. content group, in a studio, cameras, podcasts, all of these new opportunities, new ways because of the, uh, you know, the uh, evolution of technology, which has now enabled us all to be media companies on behalf of our uh, policy or our program, our service or our, our regulation. What are you seeing in terms of people's ability to be able to spin that up? Now, you came out of a content background, you, mm-hmm. know, you know, photography, design, uh, into content strategy. How hard is it for people to actually stand up that sort of capability into a sort of a more traditional uh, comms capability in government that looks at, you know, research and advertising, a little bit of PR, some social media, uh, talking points for ministers, writing question time briefs, those sort of meat and potatoes that they've got to do. But now all of a sudden, the audience is wanting more and they're wanting, you know, they're wanting video, they're wanting audio, they're wanting stills, they're wanting animations. How do you build that capability and how do you mature an organisation such that you can adequately graph that onto a function such that it can be effective? Mm. Uh, yeah, there's a couple of ways. You're either bringing in, uh, ex- you know, hiring or, or freelancers, external experts, you know, when it comes to a studio like this, uh, you know, green screens and lights and all those sorts of things. You, you're looking at a specialised skill set, but this isn't always needed. Sometimes it's, you know, grabbing our mobile and, and, and shooting a quick couple of questions with somebody and it's absolutely fine. So if you're not bringing in an external expert because you need that level, uh, it's just, it's training and, and bringing, f- filling the holes in people's skill sets because most people are really good at several things and um, whether they want to learn uh, video or the best way to do, you know, audio recordings and podcasts or, or even writing, it's, it's training and development mm. and um, bringing that into them. But it's also, in my view, I think about just doing as well. Oh, yeah. You know, you know pe- yeah, because people often sort of think, oh, well, I can't do it yet. I've got to wait till I've got this and this and this. And it's a bit like, don't wait. Yeah. Just do it. Because guess what? It might work. It might not work. And if it doesn't work, put a bullet in it and try something else. But you really do have to start to, you know, try these little things, try these experiments because it's the only way that you can make progress if you're moving forward. Mm. So listen, five years out, let's go to the future. Let's time travel. Let's have this conversation in in five years' time and I've welcomed you back to the program and you're massively successful and it's all been great. Um, what's happened? What does it look like? What do I need to do now so I can be successful in five years' time? Yeah, goodness. I'm going to come back to my earlier answer where I the, – the, the more I do this, the longer I've done this, the more I see that things don't change. And if you need to be successful in five years, learn the fundamentals. Learn the fundamentals of good storytelling, good communication, um, good audience research, uh, how, how to write a strategy, how to develop a strategy, insights, 
what's an insight, how, how to pull them out of uh, interviewing your workforce or, or your external audience. Learn, learn the fundamentals because the channels around us, they duck and weave, they come and go, so whether it's social or EDM or, you know, good old DM or all of the channels that we all had available to us. At their heart, they're all the same thing and it's about telling stories. Just sometimes they're a bit shorter, sometimes they're a bit longer, sometimes they're written, sometimes they're, you know, audio-visual. But the fundamentals underneath are all the same. Um, learn them. So what's next for growth? The growth activists. activists. Yeah. What are you focusing on at the moment? Yeah, our, uh, our, our big growth area is responsible business. Um, so we're, we're helping organisations uh, operate more ethically. Um, one area in particular, we're helping a number of organisations become uh, B, Corp B Corp certified. Yeah, right. And um, we, we've been doing that for some years now, but my goodness, has it accelerated in the last 18 months. Yeah. And again, it's back to, uh, you know, leaders and business owners have had time with their families and they've had time to think about their effect on the planet and they're reassessing and now they're looking for ways to run better businesses. I'd also suggest... Um, they're, they're looking for ways to help the planet where, where um, you know, as alongside of government and they're seeing their role as business owners and, and leaders in organisations as, as important as government. And are you seeing that change? You know, it's, it's interesting. I was doing another podcast this morning and uh, it was around uh, uh, foreign policy actually and mm. talking about interference and talking about... Uh, the need for government and business and civil society to work more together around mm. issues like cybersecurity and other things. Are you seeing examples where uh, on the ground where government and business are working more effectively and, and you know, the communication and collaboration is working better? Yeah, well, absolutely. One of the spaces we work in is uh, environmental consulting and government and big business... Uh, work hand in hand on, and it's you know it's large infrastructure projects, um, massive roadways, uh, you know bridges, the the stuff that nation building stuff, and it's just absolutely vital that um, government and big business can uh, communicate well, um, work in collaboration, and um, and find paths to move projects forwards because ultimately. They're looking at outcomes that affect the environment. They're looking at uh, outcomes that affect the economy and then an outcome for the community. And all three of those things are so vital for all of us, but for business and for government. So if people would like to have a conversation with you, how would they get in touch with you? Oh, look, look us, uh, the growth activists. Look us up. Yeah, look us up. <laughs> we're, we're on the interwebs. Um, but, yeah, reach out to us through the website is probably easiest. Excellent. Okay. Well, best of luck with all of that with the growth activists. Thanks Thank you, so much for coming into the studio today to share your wisdom and your experience. And, again, I think that's great advice, you know, get the basics right. Mm. You know, it's like the test cricketer. Day one, you know, on the first day, just make sure you're knocking the ball around, you get your basics right and then, you know, day two you can go for your shots. But really, if you 
don't get day one right, you don't get to day two. That's right. But thanks, Phil, for coming in. And thanks to you, the audience, for coming back once again to the GovComs podcast. Be sure to check out the GovComs Institute and all of the content that is now sitting on the GovComs Institute website and certainly the social media community that has now been launched on the GovComs Institute. Get in there, participate, learn, share, uh, that's the best way because I think one of these this this insight that is coming really about government is moving more, it's becoming more open, it needs to be more open, particularly as we solve some of these larger challenges around things such as climate change, such as um, foreign interference. Um, government, civil society, business, got to work together. And so get on to the GovComs Institute and really learn about it. And there are some really interesting um, uh, innovations coming uh, on the GovComs Institute and we will have another day, uh, another date to be announced soon for the GovComs Festival uh, for 2022. Look forward to that later in the year. Uh, so much to look forward to in the space of GovComs. It is exploding. Um, I'm going to write a blog post, uh, Nightmare on GovComs Street. Uh, it's really out, it's hectic out there, guys. So uh, uh, be kind to each other. There is so much going on. I know you're under the cosh. Um, we've gone from the colouring in department. You're now right in the middle of these organisations and there is so much going on. So as I say, be kind to yourself, be kind to your, your partners, be curious uh, and work together and take some of Phil's advice to get out and talk to people and understand them and understand their needs. We'll be back at the same time in a couple of weeks. Thanks very much to the showrunner, Olivia Casamento, who does such a great job putting the program together each week. My name's David Pembroke. I'll be back in a fortnight's time. But for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.